the first part of what we're going to look at today is all about what happened on Good Friday. And we're going to see that it's a paradise promise that dead people can live. Right? But I'm going to start with an easy Easter promise. Now, in here is my, uh, this is my Easter bucket. Okay? Uh, now, I know I can already see people judging me for this. Right? Uh, yeah, you're saying it's got the wrong type of paper on it. It's Christmas paper. Right? That is because nobody has come up with the idea of Easter. Bucket. Right. Um, if anyone would like any chocolate, you can just stand up uh, if you want. And I promise I'll, I'll, gi I'll give you some chocolate, assuming there's some left. So if you want, you can just stand up and, and come to the front and get it. But you don't have to. It's just a, a simple Easter promise, if anyone wants to. Like, I I'm a little bit surprised right now, to be honest. <laughs> Tom, is it the... Tom, get up, come here, yeah. There you go, Tom. Tom, why, why have you come out to the front? Um, so I can have some chocolate. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. There you go. There's, there's one. There you go. Now off you go. Don't want more than one. Okay, so here we go. So this is the best we've got. It's Kinder. So uh, once you've got one, you might want to go and sit down, just because <laughs> otherwise we're going to be really disappointed. Cheers, Thomas. Here we go. Yeah, fantastic. These are almost as good as a whole glass of milk. Can you believe that? Kinder chocolates? Fantastic. Well, do you know what? Easter, Good Friday, starts with a big Easter promise. Okay? Uh, not a simple one like that, but people can live. That's a big Easter promise, dead people can live. And even though we're on Resurrection Sunday today, I want to start by thinking about Good Friday and a conversation that Luke records for us between three people. 39 for me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals rails at Jesus. Now, does anyone here know what it means to a certain type of way? Anyone want to have a go? A certain, what does it mean to rail? It's, come on, grown-ups. What do you reckon? Yeah. Questioning authority, that's good, yeah. Um, anyone else? I'm going to put you out of your misery here. It means to be angry, to shout angrily, or to have a go at somebody with an anger. Save me too. That's what the first criminal says. He wants to be saved right now from his present situations, the trouble that he's in. I'm sure none of us can sympathise or empathise with asking God to help us in a messy situation that we've got ourselves into, can we? But he wants undeserved salvation from his present situation. But do you know what? Jesus doesn't answer him. I don't know if you see that, but Jesus doesn't answer. Look down at verse 40 and verse 41, because what you see is that the other criminal answers him. Verse 40, he says to him, Don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, Verse 41, he says this. We deserve this, but this guy in the middle has done nothing wrong. We deserve this, but this guy in the middle has done nothing wrong. And then presumably, gasping for breath, in pain that I don't even want to think about really, he asks Jesus a question. Uh, with probably his last words. They're certainly the last ones that Luke records. Have a look down at verse 42. Uh, Jesus, he says, calling him by his normal name. Loads of people call Jesus other names, teacher, anointed one, Christ, but he sees him as a man next to him and calls him Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, he says. But he recognises something else, doesn't he? He asks to be remembered in his kingdom. He, he recognises that Jesus is a king as well. Now, I've got a, another little game for you. I love playing games, right? 
Here's the game. It is, the game is called, Who is the Real King? Now listen, uh, there's the kind of young person on the right-hand side, and then there's the older gentleman on the left of your picture, right? And what I want you to do is, and everyone has to participate. If you don't participate, I'll just ask you to... I'll just make it worse for you, basically. So, um, if I'm going to say who's the real king, if you think it's the young person on the right-hand side, then I want you to lean, put your hands in the air, and lean to the right. If you think that it's the older gentleman on the left, who, let's be honest, uh, he looks a little bit confused, and like he's wearing the wrong clothes to be in a field. But anyway, I want you to lean and point to the other side, okay? Just before you make a decision, I want to show you something. The person on the right has got a crown on his head. It's a bit difficult to see. And, and what, what's the word for when you look like royalty? Like, what's, what's the word for? Regal. Regal. So, like, he's looking quite regal with a map of the world behind it. I think he's thinking about how he might rule the world, maybe. Maybe planet, I don't know. Anyway, so here we go. Hands in the air. Who is the real king? Time to vote. Yeah, okay, so it is, it is an overwhelming success for Prince Charles, King Charles. It's obvious, isn't it? Does someone want to tell me why he is the real king? Anyone want to shout out why do you think he's Mia? Fantastic, he is in. <laughs> he's, the, he's in the royal family, fantastic. He, he's the king, he's absolutely the king. The other person's just, just in a dusty old study trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you know what? Um, when you go back to the thief on the cross, what is it that makes the second criminal think that Jesus is a king? Because, if we're honest, he looks nothing like a king, does he? I, I've thought a little bit about this over the last few weeks. Um, there's something about what he sees in Jesus that makes him ask to be remembered when Jesus comes into his kingdom. And yet Jesus is pinned to a cross and doesn't look much like a king at all, really. Uh, so maybe, maybe it is the fact that he has heard or seen that uh, Jesus is able to heal the sick. Maybe it's the fact that he has heard about Jesus calming the storm with a word. Maybe it's the fact that he's heard that Jesus has raised dead people back to life. Uh, I don't know what it is. It may be one of those things. Luke doesn't tell us exactly. But for sure... He realises that Jesus doesn't have to be on the cross, but he is choosing to be there. And instead, he's watched Jesus, instead of coming down off the cross, he's watched him be beaten, mocked, that means people have had a go at him. People have yelled horrible things at him. They've hit him. He doesn't look much like a king. But then he's heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the criminal, the second criminal... He sees something about that king that is different from everybody else. He's the kind of king of a kingdom where forgiveness reigns, where people who don't have anything get everything. And he knows he deserves nothing. He knows he is as good as dead. He knows that he is sinful and deserves to die. And all he does is he cries out to God and asks Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just have a look down at verse 43 in your Bibles. Because this is a remarkable answer. What an answer. Paradise promised. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Remarkable, isn't it? This guy has done nothing to deserve salvation, but he's promised something amazing. Uh, the words that Jesus used are, are pretty cool too. Now, if you come to one of our youth clubs on a Friday night, you might well remember this slide. This is one of my favorite slides. It shows the whole picture of the Bible in a really simple way. So we start on the left with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve living under the kingly rule of God. They're friends with God. They walk and talk with him. And then the snake comes, Satan, and spoils everything. And they're thrown out of the garden and all these promises come, but it always ends badly for God's people. But you know what? They're hoping for one day God had promised on the very right-hand side there was going to be a new kingdom where everything's right. God reigns and rules again with his people in a perfect place. When Jesus says the word paradise to that thief on the cross, it's like a big pointer back to the words that are used to describe the Garden of Eden at the beginning. It's like a hyperlink. Hey, thief on the cross or criminal on the cross, today, right now, it's going to be as if you're in the Garden of Eden with God, where he rules and reigns and you're at peace with him. What a remarkable thing that is. Uh, But this is not Jesus saying to the criminal on the cross that he's going to turn back time and plop him back in the Garden of Eden. He's also saying there's that new kingdom coming. And and criminal on the cross, you're part of that kingdom now. That's mind-blowing, that. That is mind-blowing. What a promise. What a promise. The dead people can live. People who are as good as dead, dead in their sin, crying out to God, well, you can live with God, undeserved. Do you know, uh, if you're a Christian here this morning, I want to say that this is a brilliant reminder of why you're a Christian. Uh, You're not a Christian because you come to church or because you're nice people or because maybe you even give money to church or you help people across the road or you help at a youth club or whatever it might be. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's knowing that you are as good as dead. It's knowing that you're dead in your sins and crying out to God and him saying, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Do you know what I love about this picture? Is that we don't even have to try hard to imagine that the thief or the criminal can't do anything to earn salvation. His hands are pinned to the cross. He can't work. He can't give money. There's nothing he can do other than cry out to God for help. What a remarkable, remarkable picture of what salvation is. But we do see the guy's heart that he knows he comes empty handed to God and just cries out for salvation. And Jesus says, yes to him people like you people who come asking for me to save them well the answer is yes and what a promise it's a promise that not just dead people can live but they can live with God in paradise forever what a remarkable thing that is that dead people can live Superb, superb. Okay, so the second part we're going to look at today is proof that dead people really do live. Now, um, so this was my Easter uh, goodie box, or I think that's what I called it last time. Here, right, is not such a great box, but uh, he was laughing at me, box, eh? But guess what is in here? Look at this. These are Cadbury chocolate orange 
mini eggs. How cool is that? Jesse's not very happy with me that they're Cadbury's chocolate orange, but hopefully some of you will like them. Some of you will like them. Now, uh, here's, the, here's the game. Here's the game. You've got to guess what is in uh, the Magic Mystery Easter box. Okay, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these Cadbury's uh, chocolate orange Easter eggs in the box. Okay, there they are. They're in the box. The Magic Mystery Easter box. You are never going to guess what is in the Easter box. Okay, so um, you want, maybe you want to have a think about it. If you can guess what is in the box, right, you get to keep what is in the box. I'm just going to show you again. Uh, they are the Cadbury's chocolate orange mini Easter things. I'm going to put them in the Magic Mystery Easter box. You are never going to guess what is in that box. So there it is. Have a think. If you think you're good at guessing or can figure it out, then, then maybe you can have them. But uh, like I say, you will never guess. Like, it could be anything. It could be anything in the whole world in the Magic Mystery Easter box. Okay, so, um, gentlemen in the yellow, do you want to have a guess what is in the Magic Mystery Easter box? Now, you'll have to stand up and shout, okay, because not everyone will hear you. But, he's, he, hang on, hang on, I haven't finished my thing yet. <laughs> he's never going to guess what is in here. Okay, go for it. It could be anything in the whole world. <laughs> Come and have a look. Come on. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Have a look in there. What is it? Do you want to show everyone what it is? <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank, thanks very much. There you are. Yes. Like, how on earth did you guess what was in the magical mystery Easter box? I, I, I still get uh, it's obvious, isn't it? I, I told you what was in the Magical Mystery Easter box. I showed you what was in the Magical Mystery Easter box. It was obvious. It was even on the screen what was in the Magical Mystery Easter box. Well, do you know what? The Easter story is not that much of a surprise because what we're going to see is that it's been promised and told for all years and years and years. Uh, we get told loads of big promises all the time, don't we? And what we saw on Good Friday was Jesus give a big Easter promise, that people who don't deserve it can live forever with God. That's a big Easter promise. But here's the thing, how do you know he can deliver on that promise? Um, there's a couple of things up here on the screen. Uh, some of you might remember that. That was a new way that we were going to be able to go and put satellites in space this year. How cool was that? I was quite excited about it. Uh, maybe we could have gone to the moon one day as well. It all looked really good, but it ended really badly and you can't even go and climb one of those things anymore. A big promise, but how do you trust that a promise can come true? Uh, what about this? I was trying to think of a good example where people make big promises that they can't keep. What about boxing? I love it. The day before they have the fight, you have the two people, and one of them say, I'm going to knock you out, and the other one say, no, I'm going to knock you out, and I'm the greatest. And no, no, I'm the greatest. And you only ever know the next day, don't you? when one of them's been battered and knocked out, and there's one who clearly was the greatest. Big promises, but how do you know that the people who make them can deliver? And, and let me just be really honest for a second. It doesn't start that well, does it, for Jesus and his big Easter promise? Because if you read verse 1 of chapter 24, and just have a look down with me, on the first day of the week, like Esther just read to us, at early dawn, the women, they go to the tomb, taking the spices with them to put on Jesus' body. Uh, they know that dead people stay dead, do the women. Uh, they saw on Friday night that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, they even saw on Friday night that he was taken from the cross and put in the tomb. 
and the stone was rolled away in front of it. And dead people stay dead. Everybody knows that. Uh, Just have a look down, though, in verse 4 of Luke 24. Because they go to the tomb, and they are, and this is a big word, they are perplexed. That means they're a little bit surprised. Now, this is where you can all help each other. Can someone give me a reason from verse 2 of Luke 24 why the women are surprised when they get to the tomb? Anyone want to have a go? Yeah, Mia. Fantastic. The stone has been rolled away when they get there. That's brilliant. Uh, Someone else, have a look in verse 3. Oh, yeah, do you want to have a go at verse 3? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing, right? Look at this, Sunday morning, the women who saw Jesus get put in the tomb, they are perplexed because the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. That's very surprising, isn't it? I think uh, it's not too hard to empathise with them, to feel what they would have felt. Um, Most of us will have been to cemeteries. We know that dead people stay dead, don't we? Imagine you had buried someone on Friday and put one of those big headstones in the ground and then you go on Sunday morning maybe to take some flowers and make it look nice and the headstone's gone and there's an open hole in the ground. I think we'd be surprised, wouldn't we? I think we would. But this is no ordinary trip to the cemetery for the women because something amazing happens. I've been to cemeteries loads of times and uh, and that sounds weird when I say that out loud. But just for normal things, not for... And anyway, they go to the cemetery. They see two angels. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. We get to find out they're angels later on in verse 23. But look at what the angels say to them. They give them a bit of a telling off. You know, you're wasting your time being here. Why do you seek the living among the dead, is what they say. He's not here. He's risen. Remember what Jesus has told you, is what they say. And here is what the women find when they get to the tomb that Sunday morning. All the evidence that is starting to piece together. They have the stone rolled away. They have Jesus' body not in the tomb. Angels telling them that he is alive and risen. And they have a big remembrance or a reminder of what Jesus said. Here are the things that Jesus had told them. In chapter 9 of Luke, he said, The Son of Man, that was his name for himself, must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be rejected by all the religious people, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The Son of Man must be killed and on the third day rise again. Do you know what the women do next? They run back to tell the other disciples what they have seen and heard. And they go and tell them everything that has happened. I don't know if you uh, remember what Esther read out. Um, Have a look at verse 11 in your Bibles. Because the women tell them everything, but the disciples don't believe them. The words are, that it is an idle tale. I love that. They just think it's made up. Because they know, like everybody else knows, that dead people stay dead. They're just making the whole thing up. Uh, Do you know what? That's one story in Luke chapter 24. There's a few others, and I'm just going to go through them to show you that Luke is trying to tell us something really big that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So you need your Bibles open in front of you and we'll do a whistle-stop tour through the rest of Luke chapter 24. Uh, The next story, and Esther didn't read this out because it was a long piece, right? But you can have a look down and follow it along with me. 
we get to meet two disciples, and they are traveling from Jerusalem, which is the big city, to a little town called Emmaus. It's about seven miles away. It's, it's like from here to Bootle. That's how far. I reckon about three hours in flip-flops, probably, what do you reckon, to walk from here to Bootle, maybe. And, and they're on the way, on the road to Emmaus, and it's getting late, and they are talking about what has happened over the weekend. And if you have a look in verse 17, they're pretty sad about what has happened. This is brilliant, right? But Jesus comes alongside them, but they don't recognize who Jesus is. They are kept from seeing that it's really him. And so they're talking about what has been going on over the weekend. And Jesus is asking them what kind of things and why they're so sad. And look at verse 21 with me. Because in verse 21, you get a feeling for why these two disciples are really sad. Verse 21 of Luke 24. But we had hope, they say, that he, they're talking about Jesus, they don't realize that he stood right with them. But we had hope that he had come, was the one to redeem Israel. That's what they say. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been disappointed by anything. So maybe, I was trying to think of things that maybe would make you disappointed. Maybe you were meant to go on holiday and you got to the airport and COVID meant you couldn't go. Can you, I, I know that happened to people. I know, like, devastating. Absolutely devastating. You'd be gutted, wouldn't you? Absolutely gutted. Maybe um, school isn't quite as much fun as you thought or hoped it would be. Maybe. Um, maybe, if you're a bit older, your career is not progressing as you thought or hoped it would. You thought you'd be ruling the world and things are maybe not working out quite as much as you hoped. Maybe... Uh, your retirement is what, not what you... I'm not looking at anyone in particular there, by the way. M- maybe your retirement is not what you hoped it was. Uh, things have not worked out as you expected. I don't know what it is, but we all carry around disappointments, I'm sure. Well, here's the thing. I reckon if we got all of the things we're disappointed with, put them in a box and gave them to one person, they still wouldn't be as disappointed as those two people. And this is the reason why. Uh, I come back to my favourite Bible timeline, Right? But these two people have been waiting for 2,000 years for God to send the rescuer who is going to come and redeem his people. Right from the very beginning of what the Bible tells us, after in the Garden of Eden things went wrong and people ignored God, they've been waiting for the one who was going to come and make it possible for people to live in peace under God's rule. For 2,000 years! That is a long time to wait. And they thought that Jesus was the one who was going to do it. Verse 21, we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to rescue or redeem Israel. That's what they say. Uh, They don't know that Jesus is right stood next to them while they're saying this. How cool is that? Now, uh, how do you think Jesus is going to respond to them? Um, Have a look at verse 25. I love this. He does not mince his words, does he? Verse 25, look at what he says. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? This is what he says. He then gets and does what Christians have done ever since, really. He does a Bible study with them. Have a look at verse 27. Beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and then the prophets, Jesus explains how it all points to him. It all points to the cross and the resurrection. Everything. 
Now, they say later on that their hearts were burning inside them as they start to realize what is going on. Uh, But it's getting late. Verse 29, they say, hey, Jesus, why don't you stay with us? Why don't you stay with us? Don't carry on. It's getting late. And so Jesus stays with them, and they have a meal together, and he breaks bread. Have a look in verse 29 and verse 31. And suddenly their eyes are opened, and they see who Jesus is. They recognize that it is really him. That breaking of bread, I think, is a pointer back to Luke chapter 9, which is where Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And all the crowds are kind of saying, who is this guy? Maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's John the Baptist. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter says, "Uh, you're the Christ. Peter says, Peter knows who Jesus is. And it's as he breaks the bread that these two disciples, they suddenly put two and two together And instead of getting five, they get four. And they see that Jesus really is the risen king. It's all been promised before. It was obvious. Uh, Now, it's late. Uh, They were just settling down for the night. Guess what they do? They put their flip-flops back on and they hot-foot it back from Emmaus to Jerusalem because they've got great big news to tell. Great big news to tell. And when they get there, they find there's a big gang of people who have all started realizing what has happened, that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive in the power of an endless life. All the promises are coming true. Fantastic. Can you imagine that meeting on Sunday night? I know we sometimes meet here on a Sunday night, don't we? And they're good meetings. Like, I really like them. The singing's great. We pray together as boss. I don't think it'd be anything like that. What a buzz there would have been in that room as they start to realize that Jesus isn't dead, but he's alive, all the promises are coming true. Uh, Here's the evidence, right? The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. Angels have told them what's been going on. People have remembered what Jesus has said. Oh, yeah, he told us this was going to happen. They've had a Bible study from Jesus. How cool would that be? And he's shown that everything in the Bible points to him. I mean, that's really good, isn't it? But listen, I don't want to be like a party pooper, but there's still a bit of a problem. Uh, Because Jesus might be alive, but how do you know that the thief on the cross or the criminal on the cross, that big promise that Jesus gave to him, that today he'd be alive forever with God under his perfect rule, how do you know that he's alive? Because he hasn't appeared to anybody. How do you know the big Easter promise is true? The good people, or bad people rather, how do you know the people who don't deserve it get to go and live with God forever? Uh, Just have a look in your Bibles at verse 36. Because suddenly, Jesus is standing among them. He says in verse 36, doesn't he, peace to you. All the way through Luke's gospel, when you see that, that is peace, that God with people. That's what Luke means when he writes that down. That is what he means. Peace to you. But they are frightened and startled, verse 37. And even though they might not speak about their concerns, Jesus knows their hearts. And he says to them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? But look at what he does next. Verse 39, he tells them to look at him. Look at my hands and my feet. Hands and feet that bear the scars of crucifixion. You can touch Jesus, he's real but he still bears the scars of what happened. 
You know, Jesus being raised from dead to live in the power of an endless life shows that death couldn't hold him. But his resurrection body shows that he suffered on the cross. Uh, even today, there is a man in heaven, Jesus, who bears those same scars in his hands and his feet and his side, uh, suffering for the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is not just God turning back time and saying you can all go back to live in the Garden of Eden again as if nothing bad has happened. That's not what is going on here. No, Jesus' uh, death and the pain that he suffered and the crucifixion marks, they show that he really did suffer for sins that were not his own, but for sins that I have done. For people like me who I can't control my thoughts. People like me who get angry. People like me who just mess up every single day. People like the criminal on the cross who didn't deserve heaven at all. But Jesus paid for all of those things on the nail. His resurrection body is proof that there is no more suffering to pay for. That he has paid it all. And he's raised again to prove that he has done it and finished it once and for all. That that paradise promise to the criminal on Friday evening is true for each of us today. That we too get to live knowing that Christ rules. We live with God as our king. And we equally get to know that we live for the future too. That one day he's going to make everything right again. That death for us is, is not the end. It's just a continuation of living with God as king. That is good news. It's good news this morning, but I tell you this, it is good news, the best news every morning. That's what it is. Uh, just trying to think about how we might apply that, right? If you're a Christian this morning, um, it's proof that dead people can live, right? Which is great. But maybe like me, I can't be the only one in the room who still gets annoyed that you sin all the time. I can't be the only one. And even though we might look like we dress up to come to church and we all look polite and we speak kindly to each other, I can't be the only one who finds it difficult day to day to live for Jesus all the time. Uh, I'm sure all of us know that we are not the people we would want to be. That can be really crushing, can't it? Really frustrating. Jesus has paid the price for all your sin. You, you don't need to carry around the guilt with that anymore. How good's that? Resurrection Day means that all of your sins, even the ones that you haven't committed yet, if you're born again, if you're one of God's people, then there's no more guilt, there's no condemnation for you. When you wake up tomorrow, think of that. That is good news today. That is good news today. What a brilliant, what a wonderful salvation we have, right? That we don't have to live up to some perfect standard, but Jesus is the standard. He's achieved it all for us already. What a saviour. But what we see on Easter Sunday morning and by Easter Sunday evening is proof that dead people do live. People like me, people like you, we get to live as well forever in God's kingdom. How cool is that? Fantastic. Superb. Good stuff. Okay. So uh, we're going to finish with this. This is, uh, Easter story is good news to tell. Good news to tell. Now listen, Luke is really careful when he writes his gospel. Okay? He's really, really careful. And he says at the very beginning, he's writing it to a guy called Theophilus. 
And he says, I'm going to write an orderly account so that you can be sure about the things you've been taught. And that's a good thing to remember when we read Luke's Gospel. Uh, And there's a pattern that he shows in Luke chapter 24, which I'm hopefully going to skip through really quickly. But this is the pattern that he shows. He shows us surprising things, then there's usually a rebuke, then instruction, and then a tell. Yeah? So let me just quickly show you what that is. Okay? So, uh, firstly, the bit that Esther read to us earlier, when the women go to the tomb, they are surprised when they get there. They're surprised that there's nobody in the tomb, that the stone is rolled away. The angels give them a little bit of a rebuke and say, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're wasting your time. He's risen. And then they instruct them to go and remember what Jesus had told them. And then they go and tell the other disciples, right? Uh, If we go to the people on the road to Emmaus, well, they're surprised that Jesus doesn't get what has been going on all in Jerusalem over the weekend. Jesus rebukes them, doesn't he? Oh, foolish ones, slow to believe and slow in heart. Then he gives them instruction. He opens the scriptures, helps them understand what is really going on. And then they rush off back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what is going on. And then we get to the last little bit, uh, verse 37 of Luke 24. Uh, The disciples and all those who are gathered are surprised, they're startled when Jesus gets there, appears. He rebukes them gently and says, you shouldn't have doubts arising in your hearts. Then he opens the Bible again and shows them from the Bible that everything was meant to happen just like this. He gives them instruction. And then he gives them the big tell, the big tell that Jesse just read out for us. Uh, What is the tell? It's that the message should be proclaimed to all nations, starting at Jerusalem, and then going out from there. Uh, That's the point of Luke 24. It's not just that we get head knowledge and think about it and think that's nice, but it's that we realise that this is really good news to go and tell people about. Uh, All nations, starting from Jerusalem and spreading out from there. It's mad, isn't it? But the fact that we are all sitting here in Liverpool 2,000 years later is because people did that. People went on and told the great truths of the gospel, explained from the Bible that that is what was meant to happen, that it wasn't a mistake, that this was God's plan all along. Good news to tell. Uh, It's really good news, Uh, and this is what we've got to tell people too. We've got to do it as individuals, to our friends and our neighbours, but hey, as a church as well, uh, we've got the story to tell about Good Friday and the crucifixion. It's promised paradise for anyone who repents and believes. There's no other way of salvation. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other way for people to live with God for all eternity other than this message. The promised paradise for anyone who will repent and believe. It's proof too, isn't it, from the scriptures that this was God's plan. Always has been that this is how we're going to, Jesus must suffer, that he must be rejected and die and be raised again. It's proof that God's plan has come true. And, and that is the good news that we've got to tell people. We've got to remind ourselves of it, but be equally go and share it with our friends and our neighbours. It is the only hope for salvation. Listen, I finish with that, that Easter is good news this morning. 
It's good news because the cross and the empty tomb, they are proof of God's promises of salvation, promised paradise for anyone who believes. What a great privilege it is. What a great thrill to know that ourselves. But let's be good and encourage each other to go and share it more widely as well. And it's good to pray about and do as a church and as individuals too. Uh, Let me pray for us and then we'll finish. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for the great truths of Easter. We thank you that it was not possible for death to hold you, but that you really did die on Good Friday. You really were buried in the tomb. But that you rose again victorious on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Day, in the power of an endless life, bearing the marks of what you suffered for us, so that people like me, people like us, people like that criminal could live with you in paradise forever and know what it is to have our sins forgiven. Lord, we pray this morning that we would not keep that brilliant, amazing, unique news to ourselves, but we would be good at sharing it more widely with our friends and our family and our neighbours to this community. Lord, our, our prayer is that that Easter message is something we will share not just today, but before every day that you give us that we might see people born again because of the truths of what you have accomplished at Easter time. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for your glory and our good. Amen.